Beard versus Evil. How long ago did we meet? I guess we met, was it my senior year of high school? Yeah, I was just thinking of that. Um, at the latest, 99, 98, somewhere on there. Sound, that sounds about right. Because I, I remember we were at well, we were, we were at the new, well, it was considered the new high school to us. Northwest State Penitentiary. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I can't remember which part of, because we moved halfway through my sophomore year. And we moved halfway through my junior year. Yeah, so, I mean, so. I'm, I'm going to say probably your senior year then yeah that sounds about right in study hall yeah later, probably, uh, probably the first half of your senior year so somewhere in 98 and we've been friends ever since yeah. <laughs> isn't that something <laughs> it's just more shit to make us feel old yeah so that was, what 20, almost almost 20, almost 20 years ago <laughs> wow so when i met you you were kind of a larger person it is so i i started off i was like a, a really big tall kid whenever i was much younger and then, you know, once you reach adolescence and the age that puberty and everything starts to really change you and affect you, then I got really heavy. And I was a fat kid up until like seventh or this is like seventh or eighth grade. And I was really, really shy also. Mm -hmm. So like I, I, just, I had these big ass thick Coke bottle glasses <laughs> and I never talked to anybody until like halfway through middle school. And that's around the time that I hadn't, I had met Dave and Jordan and everybody and they were what started to break me out of my shell. But I also got into martial arts at that time. Mm -hmm. I started taking Taekwondo and just started to lose weight from all the activity. Cause before that I was not active at all. Mm -hmm. I was just this lazy little shit. Um, and then I started competing in Taekwondo and doing national competitions and junior Olympics. And around that time started realizing that I should probably eat a little different than I was. And then I got, I mean, relatively thin for what thin would be for my body frame. Right. Um, whenever I was at my peak for the Taekwondo competitions, I think the lowest I competed at was like 205. And as I started to phase out of Taekwondo and more into wrestling, which started happening, you know, as I started getting later through high school, that's when I started doing less and less cardio and more of the weightlifting. But the problem was I started eating a lot more and didn't really understand diet or nutrition. Mm -hmm. So by the time I met you, I was doing more lifting, not as much cardio with the martial arts, and then just eating as many calories as I could. So, But I was also very new to the lifting and didn't really understand things yet. So I think I was starting to build a little muscle underneath that, but I was still carrying a lot of fat on top of it. So at what point did you actually realize that you were doing something, I guess, not necessarily wrong, but not like... Because it wasn't, it wasn't much longer after that that you started getting like really in shape and like dropping like body fat and things oh, like that because yeah. as soon as we started the wrestling show and for those of you listening and i probably mentioned it at the top of the show like sam and i did a local wrestling show for years and for most of that sam was in an in incredible shape even though we started like right towards the end of 99 yeah what happened what happened was we would we would videotape all those and then watch them back and it's kind of like when you do the podcast, do you ever listen to the show and they go, man, I, I hate the way I sound? Um, yeah, especially when we were doing the Show Me Comic Cast. 
I couldn't stand it. I'm used to it now, but it, it took it took years. Yes, uh, and I think that's how most people are because they're not used to how they sound or how they look. Mm-hmm. You know, even though we look at mirrors, it's much different when you actually see yourself in video from different angles and in motion. And it's like the first time I saw myself on video. I was like appalled. I was like, wow, I didn't realize I've gotten this fat or that I look this ridiculous, especially in the the little outfit that I was wearing at the time. That was also around the age that I decided, okay, you know what? Once I graduate from high school, there's this pro wrestling camp that I really, really want to take a serious run at, at, at going pro. And so I have to learn this. And so I just started gobbling up every magazine and the internet was very new at that time, but every source of information I could get my hand on, on training and nutrition. Cause I was like, there's no way I can go in looking like what I do in these videos. And so <laughs> once I started figuring that part of it out in the eating, that's what kickstarted me to want to look better in the videos. Cause then I knew I would have a better chance at going pro. <laughs> well, even when you had graduated high school during college, you were yeah. going for something relatively physical, weren't you? Um, I seem to remember like you wanting to become a fireman. Yeah, that was a few years later. Oh, okay. I actually I started off. I was an art major. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm I getting an, my timelines crossed. I was an art major, and I thought, you know what? If the wrestling stuff doesn't work out, at least I have the the art stuff to fall back on. Um, and that was that was the only other career alternative I've had since I've been a little kid. Was I thought, you well, you know what? If I if all else, I can become a graphic designer, be a comic book artist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so my first year of college, yeah, I, I was an art major. The problem was I was so, like, I was just so engrossed in that wrestling world and what I was doing with it that it was really hard to concentrate with school or anything. Mm-hmm. And I, by my first year, I was like, "This art shit is not for me. I'm going to take some time off and pursue the wrestling and see what happens." And it was like th- probably about four or five years after that that I went back to school. And that time it was for EMS and firefighting. Right. Okay. Breaking down like just that, like, I mean, that's only a few years span. We have professional wrestler. We have illustrator. Cause you still did illustrating after that. You could say that you were a professional illustrator. You took commissions and did some. Oh, right. I was actually working at my, my actual job at the time I worked for a hospital and they would hire me on the side to do certain medical illustrations and graphic designs and posters for the hospital. And then in addition to that, you mentioned EMT, firefighter. Well, you didn't actually become a fireman, but that would have been cool. Fire. Right. That, would have been a great, yeah. that would have been a great wrestling gimmick <laughs> I, for you. I am a licensed EMT. I did my fire one and two classes. Um, I've done live burns and ride-alongs, but never got to that point of being a firefighter. And briefly, you trained in jujitsu. For, oh yeah, I did that for you a wanted while. To get MMA, mm-hmm. You wanted to get into MMA, so that's you have this whole like gamut of things like within a relatively short time because you're still a young man and you've been doing the personal training thing for a long time now. Mm-hmm. So what was what got you started down the road where you decided that you wanted to actually become a personal trainer? My turning stone in life, and ironically, it is 11 years ago on this date. So October 8th of 2006 is something that changed my life forever. My daughter was born when I, I had just turned 25 years old and you can remember me at that time. Mm -hmm. I was, (laughs) my favorite was my friend, Tom told me that I was a loose cannon. I was not the most responsible person and I had a million different directions that my brain was going. And then I had the wrestling stuff that I thought I, I was going to go very far in, but I, I wasn't the most responsible person and 
it wasn't until recently that I was diagnosed with clinical bipolar and ADHD and all this other stuff. But whenever I was in my early and mid twenties, um, I just, I, I had a very lack of, um, foresight mm-hmm. and, um, I don't think that tunnel vision is a good thing, but I had the opposite of tunnel vision. Like I was looking everywhere at all time. Like it's just very hard to have any focus. Um, and during that time is whenever I found out that a girl that I had been dating and broke up with six months prior was pregnant with my child. Oh, that's when I was like, okay, it's time for me to grow up and realize I can't, you know, keep doing all the things that I was doing. I was like, I have to find something and focus on this. And, uh, for, for quite a while there, I was a single dad. Um, the mom and I, who have a very good relationship, we just, we never decided to get back together. We didn't figure that that was necessary. If, if things, you know, nothing happened naturally, we didn't try to force anything. So I raised my daughter as a single dad and that took really breaking my own psyche and and personality down and trying to figure out who I really was. Am I this wrestler guy? Am I this artist? Like who is Sam? And I have to figure out because I now have this human being that's very dependent on that and that's actually when i went to school for the ems and the firefighting and during that time i realized it was very difficult to go to school full-time do clinicals full-time and work full-time so that i can provide financially for my daughter as well as being a single dad because at that time her mother and i shared custody and that she would have her 50 percent of the time and i would have her 50 percent of the time Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was, it was getting impossible to be able to do all of those things. So after I obtained my EMT license, up next would have been my, my fire and then the, the paramedic license, which anybody that's been in that world of EMS, it, all of them kind of go together if you want to make really good money. But if you don't get all of them, then the money's not so great. And so I actually was working as an EMT for a while, but to make good money, you got to be a paramedic and a firefighter. And to do all the schooling and the clinicals, as well as what I was doing work-wise at the time, it just, it wasn't going to happen. So what I did was I got stationed in the hospital and I said, screw it. I'm, I'm going to figure out a job where it's not going to take too much schooling, too much education, but that I can make the most amount of money and have control of my schedule. And the more I thought about it and the more I, you know, again, self-searched and said, who am I as a person? What am I good at? How can I take these skills that I've built over the last several years of martial arts and wrestling and EMT and put them together, personal trainer, just it, it just seemed like a perfect fit. And it was something that didn't require too much education. It, it didn't require a lot of money to get started. Um, the, personal, the personal training industry is very unregulated. So anyone can just say I'm a personal trainer and charge somebody and it's not illegal. Mm-hmm. There's really that you don't have to have the certifications. It helps for insurance reasons and it helps for marketing purposes, but it's not like, uh, it's not like becoming a doctor or, or it's even a hairstylist. It has to have some type of license. Mm-hmm. Personal training doesn't require a license. Even for like the big, the big gyms, like say a golds or nope. a, something nope. like that. None of the, it, it's up to the gym there, but legally it's not required. Huh? The only, the only real accreditation for trainers is a CSCS. That's the only college, real college degree that there is that some, like, if you wanted to go work for the St. Louis Cardinals or a big, you know, pro sports organization, they're typically going to go to require a CSCS. Mm -hmm. But 
to just be a trainer and charge people, there's absolutely nothing that's required. Wow. So again, when I, when I rewind back to these days of me being a single dad and, and the, the way that life was going, I was making, you know, shit money at the job that I was doing. I was basically an, a, a glorified orderly at the hospital. Um, I was working 24 hour shifts or not, I was working 12 hour shifts, but to be able to afford child support and <laughs> my everyday life and bills, I was working three, or I was working four 12 hour shifts and then an eight hour shift every Friday, just because that's the only way that I could do this to make ends meet. So I had to think about what is there that I could get into that could take all these skills I've built up over the years and something that wouldn't require too much for me to put together to get into. And personal training was the, the thing that I found. And I'm glad that I did. And I think it's the reason I've, I've been so successful at it and that I'm so fulfilled by the job is I've been able to take all the skills from wrestling and EMT and, and, and yeah, even from the martial arts world and put them together and use that whenever I'm training clients. That's great. You had mentioned 11 years ago when you had started this, you didn't know who, like you're trying to figure out who Sam was. Do you have a good idea of who Sam is now that you've been in this role for a long time? Yeah, I'm taking the Jim Carrey route now. <laughs> we are not people. We are just these person. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yes. Uh, I do. Um, there there was one other turning point in my life, and that happened a couple years ago in which I was admitted to a mental institute. I was in there um, for one week, and they kept me... I guess legally I was voluntary, but it's because they told me if I didn't sign a paper volunteering to stay, that they would then keep me involuntary and they could keep me as long as they wanted. But they said if I if I went voluntarily, it was like a five day stay and then, then I could go. And I, I'm really thankful that I went through that because I got to learn a lot about myself and what goes on in my head and many of the things that, that make me who I am Others that have things like bipolar disorder and ADHD and manic depressive, they tend to use that as a crutch or they use it to, to act like they're special. Like, oh, I'm bipolar. so <laughs> and, and unfortunately, many of the people that say they are self-diagnosed, mm -hmm. they aren't necessarily that. They just need some excuse to, you know, explain their odd personalities. But in my case, it's it's clinically diagnosed and it's, it's something that I've, I've always... Um, I think I denied it for a long time. I've had other people tell me they thought that I was, and I was like, nah, 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 I'm just weird. I'm just from, weird. From youth? Or like, do you think this is something you've always had, or do you think this is like trauma-related? It's a, a little bit of both. Um, they said that the, the bipolar and the manic depression and all that is stuff that goes back years and years, and a lot of it's stuff you're born with. you got chemical imbalance and da-da-da, and it's just I'm somebody that over the years learned how to deal with that. I just thought that everybody deals with these issues and I had to find my ways. Usually like art and wrestling and, and all the things that I've got involved with over the years, you know, people say, oh, dude, you've done so much. You're an EMT, you're a pro wrestler, you're a personal trainer, you run a business. All of those things happen because deep down I hate myself and this is my way of trying to prove that I'm not like the lowest scum on earth. And then when you've got a brain that's constantly going and constantly telling you what a piece of shit you are, you're always looking for ways to cover that up. And so for me, it was to, to find these ways to validate myself as a human. You know, it started when I found out I had any type of artistic ability, whenever I was younger, that was always my go-to is it's like, yeah, I'm a piece of shit, but I'm really good at art. So that's the one thing I have that, 
you know, keeps me from wanting to die. And then later on, it would be, oh, it's fighting or it's this or it's martial arts or it's pro wrestling or whatever. But I would find outlets to to at least try to deal with all the thoughts and the things that go on in my head. I just thought everybody was like that. And then when I was in the, the mental facility, they, they just, you know, a big part of that was, of course, they want to push medication on you. And, and I'm, I don't want to get on your show to talk about how I think people are overly prescribed medications <laughs> and that, that medication isn't necessary because in a lot of cases it is necessary. But I also believe that it's, it is overprescribed. What I really got out of it, though, was the therapy. When, when, when I hear people say that mental health is something that needs to be addressed in this country, mm-hmm. I really wish that they would spend more time focusing on the therapeutic side of it and not the, the prescription side. Because whenever I was in this, this mental institute, they were so quick to push Ativan on me and Lexapro and all these other things, and I was very hesitant to take those. Some of it was required for me to, to be able to get out early, and so I took it and I, it was the therapy though that I got more out of. What was the uh, what was the therapy that you went through? Um, every day there would be two hours where we met with a counselor and she would bring us all together. And a lot of it was accepting any problems or issues that you have, or saying it's okay. I have this disorder. Or I have this problem. And so whenever I have these thoughts that are preventing me from moving forward or preventing me from concentrating, here are all the here are all of the mental ways that you can construct a situation to see things differently or to where you can step back and see things more in perspective, especially with the the manic depressive part. Whenever that happens, um, you know, what's the best way to describe this? It, it, It feels like there's like a million people in my head that are constantly yelling at me and telling me what a piece of shit I am and how I'm the worst person on earth. And I'm horrible at this. I'm horrible at that. And, like, I mean, it, it gets intense you, when you hear stories of like killers that were like, oh, I heard this voice in my head that said this. I can relate to that and I can re- relate to it more now that I've that I found out that this is a real thing. And I used to think, oh, this is just something I'm making up in my head. And it's like, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> so do these crazy people that also hear voices that tell them to do bad things. So what we learned through therapy was the ability to step back and recognize when this is happening and how to construct um, those table limbs to show you that the, either it's not true or that you're amplifying a situation and turning it into something even bigger than it is. And sometimes it's just you know breathing and taking everything that's in your mind and shrinking it down small enough that you can actually see it then for what it is. And really the, the therapy helped me tremendously. It's something you'll, I'll never be over that. I'll never be quote cured Cured. from it but that's okay because there are those barriers set up now that help me deal with things whenever i have them now the other thing that i found out while i was in there was that i've also got a concussion disorder we we counted how many concussions that i've had over the over the many years of the pro wrestling and the fighting the boxing the taekwondo and I, I did professional wrestling from the time I was 18 all the way up until last year, which I'm 36 now. So, I mean, I did that stuff for a long time. But even before the wrestling, I've been doing taekwondo and boxing and fighting. So, I mean, I've, I've been taking head trauma since I've been like 10 or 11 years old. Since you've had a head. Right. Yeah. And so while I was in the, while I was in the hospital for all the mental stuff, 
they were going over my history of what I've done sport wise and, and with the wrestling and the fighting. And we actually sat and counted how many times that I've had a concussion or they could have been a concussion. And it was like, 25 or 30 that's like based on your memory or do they actually have a way to go in and check that no it's it's just going off of okay how many times can you recall that you've actually been knocked out how many times were there situations where it felt like you were knocked out or that you had symptoms of being knocked out and you know when you talk about stuff from your past if i just said uh tim how many podcasts have you done and you don't get on you know and actually look it up you're oh probably this many and then you find out and then you're and now if we go further than that i go oh well how many podcasts have you done on the topic of health and fitness oh then you gotta go oh yeah some of sam's on how should i bro and then there was this one but it's really hard to unless you actually start going back and counting it's hard to give an exact estimate on stuff with the concussions, I guess I had a tendency to only think about the major ones that were good stories. Mm-hmm. And when we actually went through the, how many that I've had, they were legitimate concussed. Yeah, it was like 25 or 30. And then from there, they went on and did testing. And essentially, I was told by a doctor that if my head were to continue taking trauma, I would have dementia by the time I'm in my 50s. Jesus. And that's that's not good. A lot of the effects I have started to feel over the past probably five to eight years. Um, and again, you just, you go, oh, well, this is how everybody ages or you just jokingly go, oh, that's just from getting hit in the head all the time. But come to find out it was like the, at first it was, I noticed a few years back, my inability to recall certain words. Uh, this happens a lot whenever, um, whenever I'm talking in uh individual situations like this mm-hmm. when i'm with a big group of people i can get around that because there's certain words i don't need to use Gr- the way that groups take information it's a lot different but whenever we're sitting in a in a setting like this and i'll go oh man i gotta feel more specific about what i'm talking about it's hard to find certain words i did this when we were recording the how should i bro podcast i'm doing it right now i almost have to explain around certain things because it's hard to find some of the words this has been going on for like eight years um, the last few years, it became my short-term memory. It gets really, really hard to recall certain things that just happened. I still have long-term, like we could talk about high school and I go, oh yeah, I remember that, 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 that. But as we start getting into the last five to 10 years, that's a lot harder. And if it's something that happened earlier in the week, <laughs> there's a good chance I'm not going to remember it. Um, I'm losing the peripheral vision in my right side. Oh dear. This was an interesting one. I noticed this a few years back. My car... I would have a tendency to drive into stuff and it would always be on my right side. I remember I was pulling into the bank one day and I didn't take my right turn far enough and I slashed the tire on the on the front passenger side. And then from then on, it would just be like, I, I would make these turns and I just kept hitting stuff. And I'm like, why am I doing this? And then I would notice when I'm driving, like a lot of times I'll be too close to the side and I'll hear the car hit the the little things in the road that cause it. They use that for like, if you're falling asleep and mm-hmm. wake you up, mine will just be because I don't realize that I'm on that side of the road. And here recently it's, it's gotten to where I'm actually injuring myself on the right side of my body. Cause I won't see like, I, I was running up the steps in my house the other day and, and I've got stairs that, that turn it up at an angle and I didn't see the banister. I mean, I ran right into it and cut the side of my stomach and then a few weeks after that, I was at the gym and there was a gym door that was open and I didn't see that as I was getting dressed. And as I went to raise up, I mean, it just cracked me and scraped me right down my back. Mm. So I'm, I'm having to over, 
I'm having to really overestimate where things are at on my right side because I'm losing the peripheral on my right eye. And that's not an age thing. It's this is from the trauma to the head. Wow. So yeah, when I go back to that stay though at, at the mental institute, like that was that was a lot of self-discovery and that I found out there were things about me that that normal people don't deal with. And a lot of it I was born with and some of it happened from the trauma, but it was something that was needed. But uh, in some ways I felt like it, it did change me some and I don't know if it's for the better or the worse. Um, that's why it's hard for me to sit and record a podcast or being around a lot of people. That's why I don't do a lot of social stuff anymore. It's very hard mm-hmm. for me to be in those settings. When I was at your wedding, I, like I wanted to leave early because it's just it's getting harder and harder for me to be in like big group social settings. It it's it's not the people. <laughs> it's just it's like an anxiety thing. It is big time. Yeah, it, it's getting that now. Like Lindsay will go places. Lindsay's my fiance. We've been together for eight years. We'll be married next year. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> any any time we go somewhere social, it it is. It's very hard to to stay, and sometimes she'll have to talk me into it, or we just leave because. It's, it's hard to deal with. It, it feels like you're suffocating. And some of it are things that I know I'm making up in my head. And again, this comes with the therapy and knowing that. But in some situations, it's hard to step back from and go, oh, okay, this is the reality of the situation. It gets to be too much and I feel like I'm suffocating or drowning, so I have to leave. Does that, uh, does that happen to you at work too? Since you have like these huge classes usually. So. No, and... I think that's why I, I'm I'm able to excel in that so much as I feel like I'm in control of those situations then. I see. So I, I, I love the big groups. If I have a boot camp of 50 people, like I feel great because I then I feel like I'm performing. But at least then I'm in charge of, of everything as I'm the one telling people, okay, we're doing this. And then I have so much boundary and control of that. But if I were to just be somebody sitting in the middle of the group doing it, yeah, I'd have to leave. Mm. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, that that's something that's gotten a lot worse over the last few years. But especially that that seems to be something that was a byproduct of the therapy and the the hospital stay and learning about myself. It's it's weird how a personality can do that. Let's go back to let's go back to personal training since we were just talking about like your big classes and things like that. So you started based you started at like the chain gyms as a personal Correct. trainer. You've been your own businessman your own trainer and then you've been the trainer that works for another place that i assume has like quotas of things that you have to hit like goals you have to hit and things like that is that the case or you would think so um the ones that i worked for didn't necessarily have a quota they would have a budget that they would try for you to reach and there wasn't much training protocol at many of the ones that i worked for it was just kind of like well, the reason why is it's commission based. So when you work for a a big gym, a well-established gym, and you're a personal trainer, you don't just get fed clients. That's not like they say, oh, okay, we have 12 people for you and we're going to pay you this much money to do it. Here you go. That would make you a liability. Instead, it's all commission based. You don't really get you don't get an hourly wage so much as you just get a certain portion of what you sell. And then when the client redeems that workout, then you get paid your portion of what you sold that hour for off of them. So you're much less of a risk to the, to the gym that way. And so how they'll set it up is let's, let's take an average, uh, a, a gold standard gym that way I don't have to say any actual company names. <laughs> what they'll do is hire, say 
12 to 15 trainers and every few months they'll, they'll, they'll do another hiring spell and they'll say, okay, out of these 10 to 12, we're going to see who can sink and who can swim. We'll take the brand new ones, which many times these trainers are brand new. They just got their certification and they have no idea how to sell. They have no idea what they're doing, but they think because they're into fitness and they can work themselves out that they're going to be good at it. They also believe that the gym's going to, you know, give them clients and pay them a wage. And that's not how it works. And so the gym goes, okay, we'll take the ones that have no experience and we'll set them at a low budget every month. Like a new person, maybe they'll be a, we'll call them a level one trainer. And we're only going to give them 10% of what they sell off of their session rates. And we're going to set them at a budget of $2,000 a month. So that means every month they have to sell $2,000 worth of training. Now, as a trainer at a big gym, how it typically works is you have a certain number that you have to stay within when you sell sessions because you're the, the gym is selling it. You're the salesperson, but the gym keeps all the money and you're going to train that person inside of the gym. And then the gym is going to cut you a check for your little you know, 10 to 20%, depending on your experience level at the end of the week, which is essentially your commission. So they'll set a new trainer off at say a 10% cut of their commission and give them a $2,000 goal every month to hit. If that trainer doesn't hit their 2000, it isn't a big deal because the trainer doesn't really make any money unless they're selling. Mm -hmm. So if that trainer didn't sell anything for the month, it didn't really cost the gym anything except that they had to give this person a shirt, but it's not like they're getting paid this big hourly wage. So it's not like they really have to pull their weight. And they're going to hope out of those 10 to 12 that they hire that they're going to get a diamond in the rough out of there, that they're going to get one, two or three trainers out of those 12 that actually can sell and can pull in a lot of money. So that trainer is going to make them a lot of money. The cost for the trainer is very low because they're working off of commission. And so then when you've got those other 10 that are only bringing in a thousand or 2000 every month, it's not really a big cost to the gym. They're still making money even off of that person that's barely training. How does even being like a trainer that can't sell or like one of these that are fresh out of school, how does that make them less of a liability? Because I, cause especially if you don't need any kind of real certification, like you were saying, I mean, you're you're getting people to like sling like metal plates around and shit like that. I mean, you <laughs> right. can really fuck somebody up. And that and many get hurt. <laughs> right. <laughs> when when they sign their membership waiver, and remember this this is why it's such a different world when you're a trainer and you run your own studio or you're working independently versus a trainer that's working for a gym. The sole purpose of a gym is to sell memberships. Mm -hmm. their, their sole purpose is to, is to sell contracts for people to come in and use their facility. So whenever they sign that waiver that they, you know, signed up for this gym or that gym, it states in there that whatever happens that they're, they're not responsible for. And they don't, even and really that includes, working with a trainer that has no clue what they're doing that puts a person in position that they shouldn't be and breaks their back. They can't then turn around and say, oh, this trainer was... Oh, I guess technically you can you can sue if you want to. Mm -hmm. um, and depending on how good your lawyer is and depending on the laws in those states and that county and how it works, the gym could be held somewhat responsible. But for the most part, when they sign that membership waiver that says that whatever they do in the gym is on them, that includes working with a trainer. Do these gold standard gyms even give a shit if like the members show up if they don't have personal training? Oh, no. I mean, that's they, they hope that they don't. Because like if, if we took uh, the area you live in, this is a large population out here, and you have you have at least two of of the the market leaders in, in the gym industry that are out here 
if every single person that owned a membership to one of those gyms showed up on one day, there would be a line out the door that stretches for miles and miles. <laughs> so obviously when people sign up, they hope they don't show up. Even a regular commercial gym that, that does you know, fairly well has probably got somewhere between eight to 10,000 members signed up. Mm -hmm. That gym occupancy can only hold a few hundred. Right. So if everybody with a membership actually showed up, it would violate the fire code. People, you would have like 30 people waiting on every single piece of equipment that there is. So uh, they know it's not like they have a certain number where they go, okay, once we hit 500 members, we have to stop signing people up because there's no room in here. Hell no. That's why they hope they don't show up. That's why they'll sell 10,000 memberships to a place that's legal occupancy is 300 people so yeah that's the model for for the big gyms is that's their sole purpose is to sell memberships not not to sell personal not training to get or, you into shape unless right, you sign up for personal training which brings them more money yeah it brings them more money but it's definitely down the list of things that the gym is concerned with which and that's that's a whole other topic there that i could get into on why the commercial gyms are really struggling right now and they're trying to search for answers are more and more trainers are realizing that we are now in the age of specific coaching and specific fitness styles. People are more and more going to the smaller studio and boutique style training where they can go, okay, when I go here, I'm always going to be with a coach or a teacher that knows what they're doing. They're going to tell me what to eat, tell me what to do. And they're willing to actually pay a little bit more to do that than to just waste money on a membership at a gym for something they know they're not going to use anyways. And mm -hmm. so many of these big gyms are struggling because their model for the last 30, 40 years is selling contracts and memberships. And now the market is going more towards this specific style training of working with a trainer. But the problem is the gyms, because of their overhead and what they were established for, their, their price points can't keep up with the studios and boutiques. So they're really starting to restructure and struggle to try to fit that niche. And I'm sorry for anybody who's listening. They were thinking about going to a gym because now you're probably <laughs> not going to want to. Well, I, I have a, a thing that I do for my clients every week. Oh, I, I was going to ask you about. Yeah, this I post a picture of a milk carton and the milk carton says, have you seen me? And then it's got the Team Sam logo on it. And every week I, I post that picture on social media and I tag all of the people that I have not seen for at least five days. So if I've not seen them in five days, they're going on the milk carton because that's me saying, you know, look, I'm holding you accountable. I haven't seen you for five days. You're wasting your membership right now. So get the hell in here. This is my way of calling you out publicly and saying, hey, you got workouts. I care that you use them. So get in here. Whereas the big gyms, what the big gyms will do is before you're a member, they will call you, email you. They are always trying to get a hold of you mm -hmm. to tell you, come in, try it. We got this deal. We got this new thing. We want you to try it out. And then as soon as you sign that contract and you pay them your first dollar, they won't contact you again. So if you don't show up for four or five months, they're not going to be putting you on milk cartons. Yeah. They, they don't care if you show up. They they're not going to call you. Number. They're not going to hound you and say, hey, get in here because they don't care at that point. And then right. it's a lot of phone calls to have to make considering how many memberships these people have. Right, right. It's it's ridiculous, but they're, they don't really care about the accountability there because their business model is set up on people not showing up. So did you always want to go independent? Like, cause you, you, you went from, <laughs> you went to one gym that doesn't exist anymore. And then you went to a gold standard gym and then you teetered between a few places where you're kind of training clients independently. Were you always planning on going independent or were you thinking that you'd find success in some of these like bigger box gyms? 
Yeah, you know, when I started at it, I wasn't really sure because at the time I just wanted something where I knew that I could make substantial income you know, that was higher than what I was making at the time mm-hmm. and that I could control my own schedule. That was that was about the furthest I went into it with it. And starting off, I was a total company man. Um, the gym that I started with, uh, they're no longer around in St. Louis. They've only got a few facilities left in the country. Which is funny because in like the 80s, they were like the place to go. And uh, when I got into training, there was only two of those gyms left in St. Louis. And I got and just I got incredibly lucky that I had a mentor there. My boss, Ira Baldwin, was the absolute best. I mean, this guy, he, he was like he was the Yoda of personal training, specifically from the business and marketing and sales side. Like Ira kind of brought people in with that sink or swim mentality, but what he what he meant by sink or swim was they should know how to train. They should know how to work people out. I shouldn't have to assume, like I'm gonna just assume that they know how to work people out. It's the sales and the marketing and the the business side that I'm gonna teach them. And when he would see, you know, he would just wait back and see who are the ones that are eager or enthusiastic about the industry and those are the ones he's gonna teach. And I got lucky that he saw that in me and I learned so much from that guy. I can say that right now. I would not be where I'm at if it wasn't for what Ira Baldwin taught me. But the facility was far away from where I lived. Um, To work in our industry, you usually, unless you're employing others, you have to have a split schedule of morning clients and evening clients. And doing that drive twice a day was just, it wasn't making sense. And the gym was, it was older. The clientele were much older. It was a it was a demographic that did not want to pay money for anything. And even in that environment, I learned how to sell. So from there, when I transitioned over to the uh, the gold standard gym that was actually right five miles down the road from where I was working, I knew everybody that was there. Um, I did awesome. I went in and, and within three months, I was their top salesperson. I had more clients than everyone in that gym. I redeemed more sessions than people that had been working there for five plus years. I really liked it. Um, I wouldn't say that I said, you know, that I saw myself working there forever, but uh, I hadn't really put a whole lot of thought into doing my own thing or moving out independent at that point because it really was like it, it was working out uh, with that company. And then I was offered the position of being the uh, the manager and director at an athletic facility where I would get to work with more athletic-based, team-based training, and have a bit of a managerial role, which um, it was new and it was cool because it was like, okay, well, you'll still get to do some personal training, but now we get to take your creative side and see what you could do with athletes and actually building a brand. So again, I didn't go into that with all these thoughts of like going off independently. I just thought, okay, it's my way of taking these few years of training I have and the sales skills I built up and taking that to another level. And it was awesome because I got to work with a lot of sports teams. I got to train some of the the children of some St. Louis Cardinal players. Um, I got to meet Chris Carpenter and Matt Holiday and hang out with them while I was training their kids. And I got to know more of the business end of things and, and dealing with employees. And it was really cool. But unfortunately, the owner of the business um, didn't know what he was doing and got in trouble for tax evasion and the place got shut down. And that's when I was like, all right, you know what? I've worked for the corporations. I've worked for the gyms. I've seen how they do things right and how they do a lot of things wrong. And I got a little taste of what it's like to do things on my own with this. So why not just go out completely on my own and start my own business? And that's what got me down the path of what I've been doing the last six years, which was 
total freelance training. And you, when you say on your own, like you're seem pretty much like completely on your own. I mean, you're doing all the social media, you do all the training, you've got kids, like you have like this, is it like really like a go, go, go lifestyle that just like never stops? Like it's trying to think of like all that you have to do in a day with like all your boot camps, your personal training sessions, trying to like grow your business, like taking care of all that shit. Like I'm the books, you have to do the books. Oh yeah. And then I've got like, I'm this guy who has like a list of all these projects he wants to do. And then he ends up sitting on the couch playing a video game because he's so paralyzed by everything (laughs) on his list. So like, what's an average day for you look like? Um, I sleep until eight o'clock. And then I run my first client groups at 9 or 9.30 a.m. Um, depending on my, I'm just going to call her my wife. She's going to be my wife, so we're just going to refer to her as my wife. My wife. If, uh, if my wife is working, which she is a nurse, on the days that she's working, then I'll have my son and then there's babysitters and everything else because she works usually 12 to 15 hour shifts as a nurse. She only has to do those three days a week, but my job is also all day long. Luckily, I can stack my schedule, though, so that Monday through Thursday, it's it's all day long. And then Friday through Sunday, though, I don't really work a whole lot because most people don't want to train on those days. And I have to have schedule flexibility with my kids. But for example, I'll wake up at 9 a.m. or I wake up at 8 a.m. And if I have my son that day, then he's going to stay with me during morning clients. He will help me train. He is pretty good about actually staying within the workout environment and really good rapport with the clients. And it's just I'm just happy that he's as interactive and as interested in it as he is. Cause if he wasn't, then that would be a whole different story. Mm-hmm. When I finished my first few morning blocks of clients, by then his interest levels have dropped and now it's time to take him to the babysitters. So after the babysitter, then I have about two hours to go to the gym myself, do any paperwork, any marketing, any graphic design that I need for advertisements. And then by early afternoon that it's time for my next group of clients. And then the rest of the night is dedicated to training hour after hour after hour after hour between 3 p.m. until 10 p.m. I see probably 70 to 100 people in that time. And then by 10 o'clock, then I go home and try to have a little bit of family time before they all go to bed. And then from 11 o'clock till about one or two in the morning is whenever I either try to let my brain rest a little bit and I turn on YouTube and try to get lost in YouTube loops. Or if I have more video projects or graphic design that I didn't get finished earlier in the day and need to get that done, then that's the time that I'll have to that because then everybody's asleep and Mm -hmm. that is the best time of the day. (laughs) Then I don't have to worry about them worried that they don't have my uh, concentration or that they're not important to me because they're asleep and then I can work just on whatever needs to be done. And that is when, if I've got to put together, you know, a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad or a little video clip or whatever, I'll get that done at that time. And if that's already finished and I don't have anything for the rest of the week, as far as marketing or advertising content or any paperwork, then it is, that's my time to veg out. And that's where I'll have, you know, two hours or so. And I will, I will sit and watch the most ridiculous things I can that, that, that require the least amount of, um, mental energy. Yeah. That's why I I couldn't just sit at that time and watch like Lord of the Rings or some shit. Cause that's, that's too much. You have to pay attention. It's like, even though it's entertainment and it's awesome, it's still, that's too much mental energy at that time for me. That's whenever I'll just, I'll turn on YouTube and it'll start off like, Hey, I'm going to learn about this 
wrestler from 1985 and then an hour later i'm i'm watching some shit about black holes and hence <laughs> uh, time space continuum and all this other stuff but i'm not so much paying attention to it as it's just nice to have on in the background i'll check emails at that time if i've got anybody i need to talk to you know i'll just go through messages because hey, then I can respond. It doesn't matter whether they're awake to hear it or not. But those hours between 11 p.m. to like 2 a.m. are so important for either getting work done or just being able to zone out and just be by myself and not have to put forth any mental energy. That's about six hours of sleep you get a night. So like, do you, do you like drag in the morning or are you just like full of energy all the time? Not oh, all the no, time, I'm, but... Yeah, I, I'm a nocturnal person as it is. If it wasn't for me having morning clients or my kids, I would sleep until 11 or 12. If there was a night market for training, I would do that in a heartbeat. I, If I could, I wouldn't take clients until 3 p.m. because I'm not awake until 3 p.m. I probably don't hit my peak until around 11 or 12 at night. That's why I think you know, artists, I think people that are, that are musicians or art-minded... That's when the brain, I think, hits its creative peak is like right there in the in the late night, very, very early morning hours. So if, if it wasn't for kids or job reasons, I would I would be up until 5 a.m. and I would sleep until noon or one because my brain really it's just it doesn't even turn on until 3 p.m. Yeah, that's I, I'm I have a similar type of mind, but I don't get to enjoy that, that window of time because I'll like come home and like, you know, I've got a bunch of projects going on. So I'll sit at the computer at like, I don't know, 7 p.m. after dinner. And it's like, okay, I need to make some headway on this. And I'll end up like just looking at that thing yeah. for like an hour. Mm -hmm. It's like 8 o'clock. Then I do a little bit of stuff. And then all of a sudden something starts to click and it's 10 o'clock. Well, shit. <laughs> now I have to go to bed because I have to be up at 5 right. so I can go to the gym and then go to work. Right, because your real life stuff prevents you from being able to live that nocturnal life mm -hmm. which is when you're going to be most creative you're trying to get creative what at times where your brain's just not ready for it that's why you'll hit that blocker it's like oh, i'll procrastinate procrastinate but i guarantee if if you had a job or a life where you didn't have to wake up until you know eight or nine o'clock and you were allowed to stay up longer you would find that those blocks magically either disappear or they go down a lot easier and you start to flow I just, I don't know how it is, but I feel like that's just how creative brains are set up. We've talked a lot about your personal training business as a personal trainer, both independently and at box gyms. Since this is the pilot episode and you have a much bigger reach than me, obviously most of the people that are listening to this are already going to mm. know you. Not necessarily everybody that knows you or the people that listen to this later is in the area to make Team Sam personal training a viable option right. to them. So they're they're limited by box gyms where it sounds like when you walk into one of those gyms, you're basically a gazelle and all these trainers are lions because they need to get a sale. <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. If somebody's only option is to go to a box gym and get training, what should somebody look for in a trainer? Because a lot of times they're going to feel pressured because these people are trying to sell. And when they sell, they right. just want the whatever. But they have the power to say, no, not interested. Right. So, Well, before they do that, I would tell them to message me first. You can either friend me on Facebook at Sam Richardson or you can like my page at Team Sam Personal Training or just email me. 
teamsampt at gmail. And the reason I tell you to do that is because I will send you my own prescribed diet plan, meal planners, workout guides. I have workout guides that I give my clients to do if they just absolutely cannot work out with me all the time. And it's, you know, beginner, intermediate, advanced home workouts. And it's just, it's got pictures that shows everything you need to do. And I will happily send you one. Now, if you do that, and then you follow that routine for a while and eventually it gets stagnant or boring or it stops working, then it's time to go look at the trainers. <laughs> and when it's that time, the first thing you need to do is make sure that that person cares about your goals and you. And it will be very obvious. It will be very obvious whether they care about you as a person and your goals or whether they're just trying to make a sale because they're either going to ask you a lot of questions and they're gonna to wanna to find out more about you or all they're going to do is talk about themselves and their training style. And I watched that happen a billion times. I still watch it happen every day when I'm in the gyms. And that trainers have this um, this inability to realize that sometimes they need to just ask questions and then shut up and actually listen. So if you go in and you set up an assessment with the personal trainer at your local gym and their very first question is not, what are your goals? and why do you need me, then just get up and walk away. If their first thing is, hey, I'm so-and-so and I do this and this is how I train my clients, this is how much I cost, the more you hear I and me from them and not you and question marks, then that's somebody that doesn't care too much about you or what your goals are. That That's a big thing right there is even beyond cost, beyond what the trainer themselves look like is how much do they care about you. Because ultimately, that's that's what's going to determine how hard they're going to be willing to work to get you to where you want to be. But just that. Start off to see if they even ask you any questions about yourself. How often do they talk about you? How often are they asking you questions? And how much is this just me, I, me, I, me, I? Because I see that every day. And these are the same trainers that come to me and they go, well, I don't understand why I can't gain any clients or why I can't retain them. Well, probably because you're only focusing on yourself, you idiot. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, well, that's a good segue. Any advice that you have for people that are coming up now in the world of personal training? Any advice you give them on how to handle clients or things like that? Yeah, we are a personality driven industry. Um, <laughs> I've, I've done lectures before at colleges and schools and even in gyms. And I, and I love getting to talk to the young minds coming up because they're going to get into the gyms and they're going to be exposed to so many bad habits and so much bad uh, misinformation in a world that is dying. I will ask them, the first question is, who's the most successful personal trainer of all time? Now, Tim, you've been around me for a while, so I'm going to ask you that as well. You may know the answer, though, just from knowing me, but who would you say is the most successful personal trainer of all time? Is it Richard Simmons? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You would be surprised how many times I ask that question and I will get a blank look on every face in class. Because when I ask that, their mind automatically goes to a guy or a female in a gym with their little, you know, colored shirt on with the gym logo on it that's got their clipboard and they're out trying to sell personal training. That is all their mind thinks of when they think of personal trainers. Mm -hmm. And so they go, well, personal trainers aren't really famous. I don't know. And then they'll start to go, oh, some of them will smarten up. Like, oh, it's Jillian Michaels, right? And past Jillian Michaels, it's like no one really can think of it because they don't think of personal training in terms of a Richard Simmons. But it's true. He is the most successful personal trainer of all time. What The guy 
connects with people on an individual level, encourages them, supports them, gives them ways to reach their goal. That is what a personal trainer is. Someone with genuine empathy. Someone with genuine empathy that wants to help and wants to help you on an individual basis. When Richard first started off, he had a studio and he was one of the first ones to leave the gyms and actually create a studio that was more specific towards, hey, look here, what I'm going to do is work more with weight loss clients. We're going to focus more on cardio. We're going to use dance and all this other stuff to make it fun and make it something that an average person who's not into the gym lifestyle can get into and be entertained by. But he would also pull them aside and talk to them and say, hey, look, why is it that you feel the need to overeat? Why do you feel that you're at this point in your life and that you can't overcome that struggle of getting off your ass and being lazy? Or how come it is you feel like you need to turn to food for emotional support? And to me, that's what a personal trainer is. They have those talks with you. They sit there and go, okay, there's more to it. Why are you overweight or why are you not where you want to be? What are you doing that's causing you to overeat? Richard was the first one to show us like, dude, that's what a coach actually does. That's what a personal trainer does. I remember being a little kid and watching Richard Simmons on TV. And at this point I had no idea I would ever be in the industry. This is way back when I was little and I thought I was either going to be an artist or a karate master. (laughs) But I remember watching Richard Simmons and he would sit with this woman and then start crying. Like he's cared so much about her that he would have tears coming down his face and they would be crying together. And it wasn't an act. I'm like, this guy is either crazy or he really cares this much about these women. And he really did. Richard Simmons honestly cared about that. It wasn't just something to make money off of. What happened was other people come to Richard Simmons and say, look, you know what? If we produce a a video series where you can then talk to the camera and talk to people directly, you can now reach more people than just the ones that come see you directly. And that's how all that stuff started. He started getting booked on TV shows. He started getting his own TV shows. He started doing these videos. And then it just grew and grew and grew and grew. But it all starts with that is like Richard trying to connect with someone emotionally. The videos and stuff just gave him a chance to be exposed to more people because this is way before the days of social media. But I remember watching this stuff as a kid even. And I'm like, wow, like he's that emotional over this that the guy is crying. Dude, do you know the, the last time that I went into a gym and watched a trainer cry with their clients? Never, never, I've never watched it. I've never watched it. Now, I'm not going to say whether I have cried with the client or not, but I do have a few that I've gotten pretty emotional with, but I'll leave that between us. (laughs) But um, it it does. It just shows like how much that you're willing to care and invest in that person's life, which in turn justify why they're willing to invest in you monetarily. And Richard Simmons. That is the person to look to. So for all new trainers coming into the field, this is a very personality-driven industry. You don't have to know all of the latest science. You don't have to know all the newest training fads. Like CrossFit is a sport. Can you get into awesome shape doing it? Yes. Can you get injured doing it? Yes. Bodybuilding, it's an awesome sport. Will it get you in shape? Yes. Do you got to take drugs to do it? Most likely. (laughs) But is it necessary? No, it is a sport. There are so many fitness um, trends that aren't necessary to have an overall healthy lifestyle. Richard Simmons just didn't push that stuff. He just pushed, hey, let's stay active, let's move around, and let's work on eating moderately okay. 
because not everybody's trying to get a six pack and look like a bodybuilder. Many people just want to reach a healthy weight, look okay. As a trainer, we have to learn that. Many trainers come in with this mentality though of, well, because I did CrossFit, CrossFit's the way to go. So I'm going to train all my clients like CrossFitters. Or in many cases, you get these trainers that came up in the gyms doing bodybuilder style training. So that's what they base their routines and their training protocol off of. Guess what? Let's just take our market here in St. Louis. It's a little different if you're in LA. It's a little different if you're in New York. But let's just take St. Louis though. The core market out here are 25 to 39-year-old women that want a nice ass and a flat stomach. They don't give a... Can I say fuck on the show? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. They don't give... That changes the whole interview. (laughs) They don't give a fuck about how much weight that they can lift. They don't give a fuck about having six-pack abs. In fact, most of them don't want it. They just want to look great in their yoga pants. They want to look awesome if they go out on the beach, but they're not trying to be bodybuilders and they don't give a fuck about how much weight that they can lift. It's not some, you always hear about beast mode, beast mode. Dude, the average person in our market doesn't care about that. It's totally cosmetic based. If your personality is a, you come out there and you're trying to be like this drill instructor and you're, come on, and we got a beast mode and put all this weight on there and pay your dues, that kind of attitude is going to turn most of our market off. If your attitude is to be totally analytical and you're going to carry around a clipboard and you're going to just compare numbers and be like an accountant the whole time, I don't care how good you are. If that client feels like they're bored with you, there's a good chance they're not going to stick with you even if you're getting them results. It's the personality. They got to feel like you care. They got to feel like you can entertain them. They got to feel like they can talk to you and be around you for hours on end every week. And you got to get them results, but they don't want to feel like that they're with a drill instructor. So personality, man, that is it. Get out and meet people and learn how their psyches work. Learn what people respond to, but realize that when you get into this job, you are not there to be a drill instructor. Again, I go right back to Richard Simmons. Are you willing to to cry with your client? If you're not, then you better get some onions and some acting lessons (laughs) and get on it because that's what it's going to take to be successful. There's going to be that. That's going to be the Instagram quick video. (laughs) It's right there. All right. So Team Sam, personal training, you have a new uh, studio opening up soon. We have a brand new studio opening up. In fact, this week, the week of October 9th through the 16th, we have a lot of work. This is going to be the busiest period. Anytime that you start a new business, you got lots of government hoops to jump through. When you're opening your own facility, oh, do you have way more hoops to jump through. So you got to deal with the county. You got to deal with county inspectors, getting plans drawn up, getting permits for every single thing you do. And it's different from county to county. Unfortunately, where my studio is going is in the hardest county in Missouri. Can't you just tell them that you're a personal trainer and you don't need any licenses? (laughs) I wish for this I could. No, it's amazing because... Well, you talked back whenever I first went off on my own. I actually, I leased a little spot for a while and it was in a different county. The rules for that were like, I could do whatever I wanted on my own, tear the place down by myself, do whatever. And as long as once I'm done, a fire inspector comes in and says, okay, everything passes code. You're good to go. Very simple. I am five miles up the road from that. I'm in St. Louis County and I have to have architects signed off, license permits, drawings of everything. If we even want to take a piece of drywall and put up a one inch piece of drywall, an inspector has to come out, check it out first, give us a permit for it. If we want to take an electrical wire and move it over two inches, nope, the inspector has to come out, give us a permit to do it. 
then we can go, we sat for four weeks before we could do any other work in the place because we were waiting on the inspectors to tell us it was okay to do the electrical and it was okay to finish the drywall. We're finally at that point. So this week, all the flooring is getting put in. They're finishing up the drywall. This weekend we are painting. And then on Monday, the delivery of the uh, mirrors are coming in, the installation of that, and then all the equipment. So it is just like prime time. Holy hell, here we go, about to open this thing. And we are tentatively scheduled to open to the public on October 30th. It is a 3,000 square foot facility. It is completely dedicated to coached and trainer based workouts which means when you join this place anytime you come in you are working with a coach or a trainer you are not expected to do anything on your own which we talked about earlier that's what people are trying to get away from in the big gym mm -hmm. is just relied on your own so the awesome thing is i have prices that beat all the other places hands down in fact i have classes and options that cost less than a membership at the gold standard gym but anytime someone comes into my facility, they're working with or a coach or a trainer. We are located in Fenton Plaza. So if any of you are listening and you are from the St. Louis area, check it out. Team Sam Personal Training. We are about to just rock everything. And because of that, I am stressed out to the <laughs> max. So doing podcasts helped me let a little bit of that off. Well, I'm glad to have you here. Uh, so the studio opens tentatively October 30th. Do you even have, what what's on your roadmap after that? What's where where does Team Sam go from here now that it has its, its space to do whatever it wants in? It's exciting because talking about hiring trainers and how to how to bring new trainers up and what advice I would give them, I'm really excited because that's the next step of what I'm doing myself. I have to staff at least three or four more trainers to do group stuff because I get to expand. I get to go from having one boot camp class a day to four, and then I get to open up kickboxing classes, Zumba, Pilates. At this point, if I can find people that are good instructors, I can have a class. As long as I can market it and make sure that there's a market for it, we can have it. Um, I'm going to have the ability to run multiple training sessions at the same time. So up until right now, my business has been based off of as long as Sam can do it, which means me doing a group of four people at one time or me doing a large group boot camp. The problem is up until now, I never had the ability to have another trainer in another area running something while I'm doing this or two other trainers doing something while I'm training clients. And in the new facility, that is what this is based off of is me hiring other trainers, teaching them my brand and my style, and then paying them to train all of the clients that I bring in. I'm hoping to phase out a lot of my own training myself mm -hmm. you know, i'll always keep on my core clients i've got people that have been with me for many 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 years and you know I, I promise them i will train them for as long as i'm alive but i'm going to start to phase out a lot of new clients and some of the people that have just been with me for a short time and hand them off to other trainers and eventually get to where my role is much more marketing advertising sales business management and then a little bit of training I always go back to Richard Simmons. And then the DVD video series. Then, well, <laughs> actually, I want to get to that in a second because maybe you can help me with, with what the future is. But um, I, I'll go back to Richard Simmons at his class all the way up until Richard lost his mind and now he's like disappeared. You know, he, there's a podcast about that. <laughs> it's Finding Richard Simmons. That's, that's awesome. You'll have to bring them on. <laughs> but uh, 
even as Richard got older, he would still show up to his studio, which is called Slimmons. <laughs> but Richard made sure that even though he had adjuncts and people that did the class for him, especially as he got more famous, he would still pop in and do so many classes a week because it's his class. Right. So I'll always have a certain number of boot camps and a certain number of training that I do because it's my name on the building and I'm kind of like the Mickey Mouse of it. But um I will definitely reduce greatly the amount of hands-on training that I'm doing so that I can focus more on what I actually think my strengths are, and that's the advertising, the selling, and then promoting the trainers. I've always felt that gyms fail in promoting their trainers. Trainers are like rock stars. Mm -hmm. they, they really are. The really good ones, because it's personality-driven, they are rock stars. It's just we all play a little bit of a different flavor of music. Some focus a bit more on lifting. Some focus a bit more on cardio. Some, you know, the the way they present their attitude is a little more out there. And some of them scale it back a bit. But we're all rock stars. And those rock stars need to be promoted. Well, it definitely seems like somebody who's like really adamant about helping people uh, achieve a healthier lifestyle. They might be good at that. But it's like now you're adding the pressure to sell. And that's where most that. fail. That is where most fail is they're actually really good at their job. And they might be very personable but they don't understand the marketing and sales side. And some of them are just so little bit of it is naivety. And some of it is just feeling like that there's something, there's something bad about promoting themselves. And so they're not good at that. That's where I come in. Other gyms. If you go to a gold standard gym right now, you might see a post like a, a picture frame on a wall that shows the little trainer's face and a little blurb about their accreditation. I'm sorry, but that's not promoting anybody. These are your rock stars. How I've told other, I've had a lot of trainers come to me and they're asking about this already. And I'm telling them my job is to promote them and use that facility as a place to give them a stage to play their music on. And then as this grows, as I start to scale back how much training I'm doing, my job then becomes promoting those trainers so that my videos that I put out will start to be more individual, like trainer specific that says, you know, let's say if I hire a trainer named Melanie, you know, here's a video about Melanie showing her in action, showing her working out, showing her with her clients, how much fun her clients have with her, how much her clients enjoy being around her. And it justifies the value in Melanie and then do another one over here for you know, Joe. Here's mm -hmm. trainer Joe and check out what Joe does. No other gyms do that. Right. And I have the ability to do that. It seems like such a basic thing. Like it's so obvious and that people wouldn't do it but yeah like if you want to if you want to have your good trainers make sales even mm -hmm. like, feature them give them a right. showcase or something right. like that make them a commercial and so people come in i want to train with right. melanie they saw that video they saw that ad they see whatever and they go oh okay melanie totally suits what i want out of a trainer when is she available? And they come into my studio and I sign them up and then talk to Melanie and say, Melanie, I need you on Mondays and Wednesdays at five o'clock. I got another one for you. And I just pay Melanie to do that session rather than it being commission based and them have to worry about hitting budget goals or anything. It's already there. And it's a unique model. Like no other place is doing that. And I'm really excited for that. And that's when I said, I, I, I wanted a job I could get into where it combines all the different things I've done over the years. That pro wrestling background, especially from the promoter side of things, helps me out considerably with this. It's just like in wrestling when you go, hey, we've got this, The Rock. We've got this talent like The Rock. This mm -hmm. guy can talk. He's charismatic. He, he, he's awesome in the ring. He's intense. Let's build this person up. Let's build videos around them. That's what you do in the wrestling world. It would be the same thing with this. You find those trainers, they go, okay, they, they've got this working for them. They're, 
they're intense and they make their train their clients work hard. Okay, let's make a video around that. Oh, this one over here, they meal prep for their clients. This one sits and cries with them. <laughs> you know, like that stuff's got to be showcased and brought out there. The commercial gyms, all they're worried about is selling a membership. So you know what they promote? Oh, the latest machine they got. Oh, guys, come out to uh, uh, the gold standard because we just bought this new uh, elliptical that has three screens on it. That's all they're there to sell. They're not there to sell the trainers. I have the ability to do that because that's what my system is based off of. It's fantastic. It's a great innovation in like a very oversaturated market and in, in this time period. For sure. it's There's so many people that, and this is an indie industry, I think you get enthusiasts that go, oh, because I like this so much, I'm going to start my own business based off of it. Mm-hmm. If they've never worked in the industry and they're just an enthusiast and they they think they're just going to you know, get somebody to invest a lot of money or maybe they have the capital somehow to invest the money and they're just going to hire others to do it, but they have no working experience in that industry, that's where so many fail. So right now, there's a, there's a lot of places that are around here that are doing boutique style training. You've got CrossFit gyms. Um, there's another one. It rhymes with orange theory, but they're owned by people that didn't work in the industry. They're just enthusiasts. They're people that, you know, they like fitness. They worked out. Maybe they lost some weight themselves, but they've never really worked in the field. They've never been trainers, but they go, Hey, uh, this is something I would like to buy into though. And I'll just hire others to run it, but they don't understand price points. They don't understand demographics. They don't understand markets. And because of that, they usually have like a five-year lifespan. Mm. Now, for me, not only do I know this market and I've worked in it forever, so I can continue to grow up through that and use that to base my business plan, I'm very, very, very big at studying the trends of what younger people are doing because that's what translates to five, 10, 15 years from now. I think we get so stuck on going, well, us, you know, Sam and Tim, we like this, so this is how we're gonna structure stuff around and that's not the way to do it because we're the present of a particular industry, but we're not the future of it. The future is we look down and go, okay, let's see, what are the 12 and 15 year olds doing? What are their goals towards fitness? How are they consuming stuff? Like if we're looking at uh, social media and we're trying to sell, you know, digital content or whatever, of course, we're looking at how are the kids consuming the content? How are they doing this? In my world, I got to go, what are these kids views on fitness? What are they doing that are, um, more likely to get them active? What are the things that they're doing that, that are making them active and how are they, how are they consuming that? What I see is over the next 10 years, my business will go from selling a studio and a place that they go into to virtual reality. Cause in the next 10, 15 years, the people our age, they'll always be looking for something in person, mm-hmm. but those younger ones, those 15 year olds right now who they're getting all their activity through Pokemon go, they have to have an app in front of them where then they got to walk around and, you know, see a Pokemon. <laughs> and then there's kids younger than that, that are now taking, you know, the, the VR and plugging their phone into it and having to move around that way. And I really think that that's where the market will be at then is people are going to be at home so often to do their shopping, to do everything that to get them to be active, they're going to have to put on a headset and be in a virtual boot camp with me where they see me and whoever else is plugged in at that time. And I'll have to sell them and like a, a dumbbell and kettlebell stack. It'll be like a little set that's like, oh, it's a 20 pound dumbbell and 15 pound kettlebell and a step and they have to set it all up in like a little five foot square and then I have to take them through a virtual workout like that's that's where my mind is headed over the next 10 and 15 (laughs) years because that's where those kids are at like that's really 
like the AR stuff. I always thought it'd be cool if we had a way that they could come into the studio and put on a headset and we're able to change the reality of boot camp where it's no longer just here's a plyo box. It's like sometimes I run obstacle courses where we set up ladders and hurdles. Well, with if we had the ability for AR, then all of a sudden it's like the danger room for the X-Men. You know, like all of a sudden <laughs> there's spikes shooting out of the floor and they have to jump over that. Like <laughs> dodge the dragon. Yeah, like that's it sounds crazy and it sounds far off, but my head's already there. I'm already thinking about that's how you get people to come in. And actually participate in workouts in studio, but further past that to get them to even get up and work out with you as a coach, you eventually got to have the ability for virtual reality. All right. I think that's a good place to leave it. So <laughs> Sam Richardson, Team Sam, personal training. One more time, uh, let them know where your new place is going to be and how they can get a hold of you. We are going to be located at 40 Fenton Plaza, and that is directly across the street from a gold standard gym that we've been talking about this entire time. Um, we're in directly in the heart of Old Town Fenton. So if you live anywhere in the St. Louis area, you should come check us out. You can find me on pretty much every social media platform that there is on Facebook. My like page is Team Sam. That's one word. Personal training on Instagram and Snapchat. You can find me at Team Sam PT. And uh, I love the Snapchat. So if you're on that, definitely add me. I like to post stuff every day. And it's not just workout related. You'll get to see my son who is a three-year-old demon. He's three years old. He's the size of a six-year-old. He's got the mouth of a 15-year-old and he punches like he's 20. (laughs) So my Snapchat is way more than just workouts. It's my son on there and his constant use of the word fuck. And uh, Instagram is great for those of you that are more fitness minded. I run challenges all the time on there and throw stuff up to, to keep people motivated and up to date on all of our fitness protocol. Um, you can email me at team Sam PT and uh, got a Twitter, but I ain't a big Twitter person anymore, especially for the fitness stuff. Sam, my friend, thank you very much for being on my first episode. Thank you for having me. And I hope that it is a successful debut. Me too. <laughs> Have you ever done vegan CrossFit? Are you asking me if I've ever done vegan CrossFit? <laughs> no, I just, yeah, I just that, see that. That's exactly the way it would be. Yeah, that, I just, I can't do it. It's just not entertaining to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think it's entertaining to about 95% of the people that are doing it. You mean you don't think CrossFit's entertaining? I don't think working out is entertaining. Yeah, people just work out to, well, some people like to work out. So Most people are just trying not to die or trying to lose yeah. some weight. On that same note, too, so I was just thinking about this the other day, and it's funny that we're talking about this. FlexCan. Remember FlexCan? Oh, I absolutely remember FlexCan. Okay, so how long ago was that? That had to have been six years ago, Uh, give or take, or more. Okay, so this is a bad move on my part, especially in the first episode. I normally wouldn't want to interrupt a segment. But I should take this moment to acknowledge what I'm now going to refer to as the FlexCan faux pas. Nick brought up FlexCan, and I completely forgot to clarify to the listener what FlexCan is. I will do my best to be brief. On Memorial Day weekend in 2011, Nick, Jimmy, myself, and a few others went on a camping trip. At a neighboring camp was this kid who kept coming around. If I had to guess, he was probably around 15, pretty fit-looking kid. That's mainly because he was in a constant state of bicep flexing. That's the flex part. The can part is because this dude was thirsty. And I don't mean in the posing for the lone female in our group, though he was doing that. I mean thirsty in that this kid always had a can of soda in his hand. That's the two words on their own. Flex can, however, is one word. It's the kid's proper noun. 
I assume his parents gave him a different one, but it's irrelevant on multiple levels at this point. Let me paint you a picture of Flex Can Kid as he comes into your view. Better yet, I want you to do the Flex Can, and I'm going to instruct you how. Start with a standing position with your hands at your sides. Step one, using your dominant arm, i.e. the arm that likely has the bigger bicep, make a fist. Keeping your elbow at your side, begin to curl an imaginary dumbbell. Stop when your forearm is parallel to the floor and hold that position. Step two, rotate your dominant arm, positioning your fist approximately two inches below your sternum. Maintain bicep flexion. Step three, open your fist so your palm is facing upward. Step four, set a canned beverage of choice on your palm as if your palm were a coaster. Step five, close your fingers around the can. It's okay if the can is no longer centered on your palm at this point, but it's important that your fingers kind of form a claw around the can. Step six, maintaining bicep flexion, hold this position forever. 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 Congratulations, you have just successfully flex canned. Had to been almost, yeah, six, seven years ago. Regardless. Regardless. Flex uh, the, the His whole thing was CrossFit. Was it? Yeah. No, it was parkour. It was parkour. Oh, okay. That's why we'd go, yeah, that's parkour. Okay. That's right. Because I was thinking, well, it, and parkour is somewhat like CrossFit in a sense, I think, personally. Um, You're running over, jumping over things. CrossFit is hurdles and weights and all that stuff combined right am i, am I, totally I don't wrong? know if you had do any hurdles with crossfit it's a lot of it's a lot of uh presses and it's, oh, it's basically okay. calisthenics so, so, yeah, isn't it? okay so yeah, it's, it's calisthenics with really fucking heavy weights okay and like your form's all fucked up if you aren't careful because they basically compete with each other to mm-hmm. get like to like beat like records and stuff like that so they're actually like a lot of people do it for the fitness part, but a lot of them do it for the competition part. And people get fucked up on CrossFit, man. So it's basically just powerlifting, except an extreme, no break. Just do it as fast as you can. Yeah, I mean, you're not obviously you're not slinging as much weight as you would if you were powerlifting because right, right, you right. wouldn't be able to. You burn yourself out. You break your spine, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's. I just. I. I don't know. And and kind of on that same note of working out, like I just. I get no enjoyment out of it. It's just not my thing. I, I do not know how people can force themselves in the gym. And like, and that's what, like, I am not a morning person to begin with. But mm-hmm. getting up in the morning and going to work out first thing in the morning, I, it just, I don't get it. it does, I, I know you work out sometimes. Do you do it in the mornings? I have to do it in the morning. Because by the time I get home at work, it's like, I don't want to fucking do that. Like, how do you get the, like, because I do not wake up. I can't eat in the morning. I can't do anything for a good two hours. Wake up. Uh, well, it's interesting because I've been trying to get back in shape. Back in shape. I was never in shape. Bullshit. Shut the fuck up. But uh, no, I was always a, I was always a skinny fat. So yeah, like I was I was active when I was younger. Like I'd ride bikes a lot and I'd run around outside. And then I moved out to the county where I had like no friends. And if you didn't have a fucking car, you didn't see anybody. Right. 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 So I basically sat like most of high school was me sitting in my bedroom. Uh, Playing video games, drinking a shit ton of soda. Like I don't remember like how much. And like back then, I had like a great metabolism, so I didn't gain weight. Well, that started to go away around my the end of college. Okay. And then I end up getting into the workforce, 
And since I'm like a computer guy, I always end up working at like these kind of like startup like tech companies and they always want to be really cool. It's like, yeah, we've got foosball tables. We got, <laughs> we got a soda fountain. We've got free snacks because they, they, right. uh, they use that to, as an excuse to not fucking pay you shit. Oh, basically. Okay. Yeah. We're hip and cool and we've got blah, blah, blah. And we're not going to give you any money. So that's how that works. And I ended up, I gained a lot of weight. I, I gained a decent amount of weight at the job I had before this one. And I went into the job I have now in 2010 at like 219 pounds. And by 2012, because of soda fountain and bowls of candy, I stepped on the scale one day and I was at 230. Damn. And I was like, fuck this. Right, right, right. And I felt horrible all the time. And it wasn't, it's not because it was a bad job or anything. It's just because I was eating like garbage. And I'd go to, uh, I'd go to Deerberg's and Deerberg's has the Kenzie cakes. I don't know if you've ever, uh, been over to the bakery section in Deerberg's and this is really like locating the podcast okay, for yeah. people who are listening. But, uh, there's the Kenzie cakes and the one that they have was like brownie with chocolate chip gooey butter cake on top. Fuck. Yeah. That sounds amazing actually. Fuck. I would buy one of those and that would be my meal for the weekend. Like I would just eat that. Eat that? And just pl- that? Just that with soda and play Fallout 3. Wow. And I ended up getting up to 230 pounds and rightfully so. Yeah, around 2012, it's like, dude, I got to change something. So I started working out like crazy. I followed this 12-week plan, lost like 30 pounds uh, by the time it was all said and done started i decided okay at the end of that 12 weeks i got really sick with something like i guess there was something just going around and i ended up losing a decent amount of weight just from being sick <laughs> I was yeah, like another three yeah. pounds i ended up getting down to like 197 or something like that um got better i decided i'd start up a new program because i was like really into it. it's like okay i'm actually seeing results i'm losing weight i'm actually gaining muscle and i started a four-week plan that was just building muscle like not even fat it was just like burn out your muscles and like have them rebuild stronger and i got sick during that and then i just didn't go back to the gym again like for some reason like those two things like back to back just totally fucked up my fitness so around 2013 um i had gotten back up to 2 215 220 somewhere around there and I followed, a, that's when I started getting into the low carb thing and doing like more paleo type stuff, cutting out like sugars and things like that. And I got back down to 195 in a month. Damn. I lost like 25 pounds in a month. And that's when I met Sarah, or not met Sarah. Sarah and I used to work together years ago. Uh, but Sarah and I reconnected and got together. And when I was, we were dating, I'd go to her place and we'd basically drink beer and watch Netflix. Yeah, yeah. And... Over the course of time, I started gaining weight back and it was, and we had been doing some working out stuff and I'd like lose weight. I keep losing and gaining back the same 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. Well, the end of last year, like after we got married, we had the, I had lost a bunch of weight. I got back down to 20, about 205, 207 around the time of the wedding. By the time we got back from the honeymoon and then we had the holiday season then we had Scott and Denise's wedding. Right. By the time that wedding was over 
and we started the uh, the Onyx Edge podcaster weight loss thing, I was back up to two thirty. So you 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 can gain weight really easy, apparently. <laughs> So, yeah, and, and that's, okay, so I'm going to kind of like throw this at you. I don't know if you, uh, you guys actually weren't around, or let me rephrase that. I wasn't around during this time. Uh, when I was with my ex, mm-hmm. uh, we were drinking so heavily, mm-hmm. like an insane amount. Like we were going through, like I could literally drink a bottle of vodka in, in a night on a weekday. Dude, that's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And what I didn't notice is on that same note of gaining weight, I got up to 225, which is kind of hard to... It's hard to picture because when you came, when you started coming back around, you were like a little yeah and puffy yeah. And at that point, like I had realized, like because we were going through like a rough patch at that time, and she had and kind of pointed at my weight, you know, and and how lazy I was, and it was because I was just literally as soon as I would get home, I would just crack that bottle open and start drinking Mm -hmm. until I was ready to go to bed. And when you do that, you just you do nothing, you know, you eat like you know you you just eat like crap, you know, and you don't do anything. And yeah, I, I puffed up big time. And then basically quit drinking and immediately lost 20 pounds and started running and doing all that stuff. So by the time I started hanging out with you guys again, I was probably down to 197, 195, somewhere around there. Okay. What and, are you at now? Uh, about 185. That's about where I'm trying to get to. Yeah. But on that, like, as far as like the working out thing, that's why I've never really fully enjoyed it is because I, I think I do have a pretty fast metabolism. Mm-hmm. I don't eat great as it is. I drink a shit ton of soda. Like, and my weight normally will stay. I, it's really hard for me if I'm not drinking like on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for me to get over 190. And, but that also, I think it also has to do with my job. It's pretty physical. So mm-hmm. for me to get up and go work out and then go to work and, bust my ass at work is it just i just can't i, I can never could do it yeah if you, you have know? an active job it's i mean that's usually a workout in and of itself but right. if you're like me and you're behind a computer yeah all day, yeah exactly you have you basically just your muscle if you don't use your muscles they kind of just go away go away right and you become a skinny fat guy okay <laughs> so around the time i am about five weeks in to no sugar i haven't had any added sugar for five weeks. So only natural sugars, like only oranges f- and fruits fruit, and stuff like fruit that. Fruit only. Okay. Like I haven't had no honey. As, no, I'm, as I'm drinking a soda. As you're drinking a yeah. soda. And it doesn't even bother me right now. Like That's good. I had crazy cravings for like two and a half weeks. And then eventually they start to mellow out. Right. Well, you're kind of detoxing. I can only, I, mm-hmm. like, I can, I can only imagine. Because I, I literally, as soon as I get up, I crack a soda open. That's my coffee. Because I, I can't do coffee. It, it makes me real jittery you know mm-hmm. like too too much where i don't feel right right so but soda i can drink soda all day and it's fine so literally i cannot imagine like not waking up and cracking a soda open. Mm-hmm. that would just be tremendously bad so after after scott and denise's wedding we did the we did the weight loss challenge so that started from the middle of january to april 1st and i went back from 2 to 207 again and then I thought, wouldn't it be fun if we had a treat? Because it was around Easter time. It's like, you know what? I want a basket of Easter candy. So that was our gift to each other. Sure. And it fucking spiraled from there. <laughs> like, I stopped going to the gym. Um, and we like that was we started getting back. Oh, I don't really feel like cooking. You want to just go get a pizza? Because we right. usually we usually cook all of our meals. And I I got back up to uh, two two fourteen again. So, yeah, like at the beginning of at the beginning of September, maybe the end of August, I don't know, but about mid-September at this point, um, I decided, okay, no sugar, no grain, 
no dairy, like nothing with nothing that had like lactose and no no sugar of any kind. Okay, and no grain because I think uh, grain was making my skin break out oh. and things like that. Yeah, so it's like I'm gonna cut all this out. I'm basically gonna do a food detox, and I'm now at 200. Awesome. In five weeks, about. So, yeah, it's crazy. And I have been going to the gym again in the mornings. I usually do weightlifting on Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings. And then I'm supposed to be doing cardio on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And sometimes I do that. Sometimes I can't wake up and Sarah and I just take a walk around the neighborhood. Sure. So that's what I'm up to now. And then, but that's nothing compared to like Sam's boot camps. I've, I've, when Sam was working at one of the gold standard gyms, I actually, he actually let me come in and do one for free. Cause I was a member at that gym. Gotcha. I didn't have to sign up for it. Cause that's the one goofy thing about some of those gyms. You're paying for a membership, but you also have to pay for their training or their class, their class training. Whereas like the gym I'm at now and like the gym I was at before that, like all the classes are free. Like you're already paying for a membership. Yeah. Just come in and right. do a class. It's crazy. Like Sarah just did a, uh, she's going to do a yoga class. I think she ended up doing a meditation class like yesterday. So I might want to give that a try sometime, but it was on Wednesday and Wednesday is when I do my weightlifting. It's when I do my squats, Jimmy, because I got to get that booty. It's leg day every day, bro. Leg day every other day. Pussy. Speaking of, speaking of leg day, I've gone completely batshit. Thanksgiving morning, I'm going to be doing my first 5K. Oh, for oh. real? For real. Damn. Sarah signed us up for one. So, well, yeah, I, n- not only are we hosting Thanksgiving, but that morning I'm going to be doing a 5K. You're going to be that guy that's shitting his pants marathon running, but only it's a oh, 5K? I hope so. I hope I'm that guy. Lose all bodily control. That'd be great. I got to make room for all that stuffing later in the day. I hate I hate Thanksgiving dinners. Really? Yeah. You want to come over here? No. You can come over. No. I hate traditional Thanksgiving dinners. I do. I. We're going to have mac and cheese. Oh, God, that sounds fucking good. We're going to have baked mac and cheese. Sarah makes mm. a mac and cheese casserole. She uh, had it at our thing the other weekend. I have to work the next day, so I'm probably going to... What do you think we're going to do? Get, like, fucking hammered? <laughs> no, I'll probably spend the day by myself. We're going to butt chug vodka out of this turkey. Oh, my God. Uh, nope. That's probably what I'll end up doing. <laughs> is just sitting at home and butt chug vodka out of a turkey. What'd you guys think of my interview with Sam? My first interview ever. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Jimmy. So, I thought the interview was good. Uh, one of the things that I was very surprised how much Sam opened up. Yeah. You know, and it was. It, I I don't know Sam like you guys know Sam. Mm-hmm. I only know him through the social events and stuff like that. But and I and I don't mean any ill intent in saying this, but it explains a lot uh, from my interactions with him. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's been very, very nice to me and very open with me. Just you know, hanging out with you guys and everything like that, and he's kind of accepted me as part of the group and all that. You know, and uh, we've talked about a lot of the stuff that he talked about on the podcast, and it, I was really surprised to hear him say it. I didn't know it was actually going to go there because I had like a whole list of questions for him about like, you know, his journey for fitness and things like that. Because one of the main things about this podcast in particular, it's kind of it's kind of like my journey to better myself through conversations with Mm -hmm. people that I admire and having 
conversations with my friends because if you remember like when we started talking about podcasts it was because we were drunk sitting mm-hmm. around a fire pit having conversation having like real conversations with some really dark uh inappropriate oh, humor yeah. thrown in but like yeah. really some really heavy shit sometimes it's like this should be recorded which is why i have like the which is why i'm going to try the two sections of this podcast the interview portion and then the to get together with my friends and have the fire pit sure conversation yeah. i was kind of having sam on so he could promote his own stuff um because like he's doing great like i as as a friend like he's like he's like a brother to me he's got his own brother and things like that i don't so like my friends like you guys sam mm-hmm. mike you're my brothers yeah in, agreed 100 I'm, I'm right with you on the same boat in that regard so i wanted to have him on and talk about what was that look? I just realized only children. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I never yeah. really, I, I guess I never, yeah. Yeah, I'm closer to some of you guys than most of my family. Oh, I'm totally closer to all of you guys than yeah. pretty much all of my family. And my family doesn't like that. My family's just small, and they got, like, certain members of my family got old and died. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, yeah. It was basically. A lot of things started happening, like, because, like, my Christmas is, like, a big, like, the Christmas Eve party or the, the mm-hmm. holiday party is, like, a big thing. Like, I used to love fucking Christmas Eve because, like, my family gets together. I was an only child. I got all the presents. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it was a small family, relatively small family, and it was a good time. Like, a lot of good food and things like that. And then, yeah, I mean, people got old and went away. So then, and then as other people got older their personalities changed. Mm-hmm. So it got to the th- point where every family gathering just kind of was depressing. And, and I you would start, you would start seeing your own family click up too, wouldn't you? So there would My family's certain... not big enough to click. Well, I mean like you would always see like the two cousins that were really close. I don't have any cousins for real. Yeah. Tim, I'm the same way, man. Damn. Like, I literally, I was only child raised by my mom. Mm-hmm. I have an adopted family. Um, that is severely dysfunctional and that's about all i had you know so like i understand where you're coming from in the sense of you know the whole brotherly aspect of that and having a very small family and seeing and actually i don't even i don't think i told you guys this i found out that my dad just died holy, holy fuck, shit for real? yeah like and to kind of let everybody know i didn't know this guy and it's been the last time i saw him i was two years old or something like that mm-hmm. Like, so, did your sister tell you about that? Yeah, and yeah. Oh. So she texted me and said that uh, he's in the hospital and hospice and he's getting ready to go. And apparently for the last two years, he's been homeless, living on the streets, doing meth and all this other stuff. And Oof. yeah, he's yeah, a winner that's to begin rough, with. man. But, you know, it, it's just kind of a weird thing. Like, uh, and sorry to kind of just jump subject here. No, it's fine. No. But, uh, you know, it's a very weird subject to, to kind of talk about because it's like, do am I supposed to feel bad about this? You know, and in, in, in actuality, I, I didn't, you know, and I I guess I kind of had to take a look at, at myself as like, why don't I feel bad about this? But then the same aspect, this, this you, mother, had, no, I, you I had, had no real connection. Yeah. Uh, so when my sister texts me, she, my dad actually requested that I go up and, and see him. Mm-hmm. And it was a very hard struggle in my head because it was one of those things where I know what he was wanting to do. He was wanting to clear his conscience before he met his maker. Sure. And I went through kind of a, like a hard time trying to figure out what I wanted to do with that situation. 
because I could have been, you know, I guess you could call it selfless and go up there and, and let him get his apologies in and, mm-hmm. you know, say, hey, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You're going to be in a good place, blah, blah, blah. And I, I didn't know really what to do until I had had to take a second and, and I talked to my girlfriend, Debbie, and we sat there and talked and it's like, what has this guy ever really done for you? Mm-hmm. So why should you do anything for him? You know, and she was really supportive about it. And then, I, and like I said, I sat back and I was like, yeah, why should I help this guy out or appease him in, on his deathbed when he's the only thing he's really done for me was a sperm donor? Uh, yeah. You know, I can, I can see that. I also definitely see the, the other, other side of it. Of it. Like right. if I, if, if our roles were reversed, I think I would, I would probably go up there because I mean, there's, I, I know other people in the, in like a similar boat where their dad wasn't around and it's like, you know, do I, do I invite my dad to the wedding even though he wasn't around? It's like, well, what's more likely or what are you going to feel good about not inviting him? Or are you going to like wish down the line that you had invited him? Right. Even knowing that he probably wouldn't show up. Like, cause there, there's so many people that like, some people just weren't meant to be parents and they fucking bail like after instead of doing the staying and doing the job. And it's like, sometimes their kids like give them chance after chance after chance and they just keep getting let down. And it's like, yeah, do you keep, do you keep opening yourself up for that disappointment or do you become cold to it? And it depends on, I guess like ultimately is whether or not you want to be a cold person or not. And not even necessarily like an all over cold person, but just like shut this part of you off. Right. And, and, and with, with my aspect though, there's more to it than just oh, uh, the, he left and and blah blah blah. It was an extremely abusive relationship. Like I have a I have a really distinct memory of being somewhere around like two two and a half, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a green hutch that uh, I guess my mom and dad had at the time, and my my dad would physically beat the shit out of my mom. Oh well, yeah, fuck him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I would things. hide in that hutch and I remember just that was my safe place, you know. And it was it was not just that. It was all the dude was a like a, a tuck pointer for brick and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. He would go into people's houses and just take handfuls of pills and come home and lay them out and take whichever one he wanted to do, Jeez. you know. And it's like this dude was a dirtbag, you know. Wow. So it's like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, all right, yeah, do I really need to go up there and give him that satisfaction of seeing me one more time and then not to mention I've never met the guy but I have all these really hard feelings for him mm-hmm. so how would I have reacted and it probably wouldn't have been good right you know so it's like alright let us keep myself away from that but it's a very weird thing to have like that situation happen you know and I don't even know how we got on that subject <laughs> truth. we were talking about like how surprised we were about Sam opening up oh yeah and then yeah, we yeah, started yeah, talking yeah. about like but going back to that we'll, yeah. we'll kind of go back to the, the Sam thing I did also notice, too, that, uh, and I'm not just trying to be the agreer in the situation or the, you know, it was a great podcast and all this stuff, but I found out that I have a, kind of a lot of stuff in common with, with Sam. Yeah. Uh, I, I volunteered firefighting for Eureka. Um, something that, you know, really hit home, and I'm sure it hits home with Jimmy as well, and kind of all of us, is the anxiety stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, being in that, and it's not us, it's not our friends, it's just the situation, and it's... The you only know, difference, the only difference that I have is he said that he has like a million and a half voices telling yeah, him that he's wrong, that. whereas my and I just hear my own voice. Yeah, it's like, and I that's that's the, that would be the only difference, I guess. It's still a negative thought in your head that just fucking is a plague. But 
we're all individuals, so we're all going to hear our own thoughts differently. Sure, and Sam's Sam's is a little more of a unique place because, as far as I know, none of us have like trauma and brain damage. Well, yep. oh actually, him talking about it made me do a lot of thinking, and I would say that I probably had between ten and fifteen concussions growing up as a kid. Holy shit! Because of sports, I've probably had under five sports. A fight I was in, banging your head on this and that, you know, but. I could not believe when he said, you know, when I could, but that's, you know, well, we, we'd see him wrestle like, and we'd yeah. see him get hit with chairs. That I was going to say that was in the age when, you know, a chair shots, the easiest pop you can get. Mm-hmm. Like that's going to, it's going to bring the crowd to their feet. Let's really think about what the hell's going on here. When you take a chair shot and, and I guess it doesn't I- matter if you put your hand up or not. Oh there's, yeah, there's a lot of fucking trauma that's going on there. One of the one of the reasons I I, I was bringing up Christmas Eve was, and I, that went into it. Yeah, that's we started talking about Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's what it was. But the reason I brought up Christmas Eve is because holidays with my family got more depressing. So I started bringing more of my friends and mm. like more of the people yeah, I'm yeah. closer to to offset that. And Sam was the one like Sam coming over for Christmas Eve is pretty much like his tradition as well at this point. Um, but the reason I brought it up was because one day we were watching one of the DVDs of our like Christmas show of the wrestling show, and Sam Yuletide Terror. Yeah, it's, it was either Yuletide Terror 2005 or 2006. If anybody's listening and want a copy, I can probably hook you up with a with an, <laughs> with an MP4 of it. We were watching it on like my parent. My parents had a big projector TV, and we were watching it. And my uncle's like watching Sam get like fucking hit with chairs. He goes, so. What do you do to not uh, not take that full blow? Like, do you, he's like, oh, you take the full blow. <laughs> and see, I guess I always assume that, like, because my uncle thought they were like fake chairs or something like that. They weren't like they were like lighter or something like that. And well, like, I, yeah, I assumed that it was more of like a trained movement, you know, so that that it wasn't a full blow it, hit. It is a absorbed hit, you know, like you know a break fall or something where you can absorb your fall into it. I thought it was more yeah. like that where. Yeah, you're going to get hit, and it's going to fucking hurt, but it's not a concussion hit. Right. There might be people who know more about that than us, and then because like, the only person I've ever talked to about it was Sam, Sam, and Sam's like, no, when you get hit with a chair, like the first thing you want to do is pass out, and you be- and I bas- and he's like saying, I basically just like the reason I just like stand there for a minute afterwards is because you have to like maintain consciousness. Oh my god! And I'm like, holy shit! So some of these reactions that we see are, I mean, I know a lot of it is staged and whatnot, but Mm -hmm. you get hit by a chair and you see that tumbling backwards. That's probably real. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. That's, I I don't have balance and I'm about to pass out. But it's like, I've, I've never, I've been hit in the head with things before. I've never had somebody slam a chair into my skull. (laughs) I can't imagine being the person that goes, yeah, I want to do that again. But I yeah. guess people play football professionally and they get all kinds of brain damage and end up killing themselves. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, but the only, I mean, the average career for a football player is what, three to five years? Yeah. I mean, that's not a, it's not a lot. It's a lot if you're getting hit with the equivalent of 80 miles an hour. Well, that's what I mean. It's, they're, yeah. they, 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 they can't, I mean, it's, it's not a... Some of these wrestlers wrestle every weekend taking chair shots. <laughs> Multiple days a year. Yeah. The... I mean, even 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 the guys in the indie circuit, yeah, they've got their main promotion that they're working on, but they'll they'll travel, you know, for five six hundred bucks a night, mm-hmm. and 
I mean, think about that. That's it's more wear and tear. But yeah, Sam opened up a lot about his uh, about his mental things, like th- things that not only did he not like. I knew a little bit about it, uh, but I didn't know like all the details. And it's like one of those things where you don't, you rarely get to sit down and talk to somebody like this mm-hmm. for a long time and like really get to open up. Which is one of the things I really like about this format, and like even like the the drunk fire pit conversations, like those those are things that people should have regularly it yeah absolutely it's it's unabided like you just and most of the time you're drinking too so but it is what it is uh you do tend to open up a little bit more during those conversations mm-hmm. you know and uh i you know i gotta give it to sam like seriously like i took some balls to just sit there and and, and throw that all out on the table mm-hmm. and uh we were we were talking about this on the the ride over here how crazy the which jimmy doesn't think it's legal but you know it is what it is the, the 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 contract or whatever he had to sign going into the psychiatric ward mm-hmm. that it was air quotes uh, voluntary to sign it or if you don't sign this we're gonna involuntary keep you for however long we want. I was I was always under the impression that they couldn't keep you for more than like two or three days um, because I know somebody else whose boyfriend went into a psychiatric thing because he was talking about killing himself or tried to kill himself or something like that. And even, like, he he didn't voluntarily go, but they could only keep him for a couple days. I was say, I, the reason I say that is because I could have swore that even a 5150 hold is for only a few days. Right. They can only legally hold you. I mean, it's against your will. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're sane or not. Mm-hmm. It's still... Against your will. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not an expert. But, hey, if anybody else out there is, <laughs> let right. me know. Because I'd, I'd dearly love to know uh, what the deal behind that is. But, yeah, Sam had deals with some dark thoughts on the regular. So, fucking, like, he's, like, strong physically. But he's also got to be, like, despite all the headshots he's taking, you got to be strong, like, mentally and with willpower to be able to cope with that. And he seems to be coping well now. Like, I don't... He's. I haven't been seeing as much of him since he's been so busy opening up his new mm-hmm. studio and things like that. Which where exactly is that? That is in by Payless Shoes. Yeah, or it you, used to be Payless yeah. Shoes. Every, everybody listening, go to your nearest Payless Shoes, Samsung. <laughs> it's gonna be right there. No, if you're in Fenton, Missouri, you're probably or you if you're from the area from the St. Louis area, you're probably familiar with Fenton, Missouri, uh, in St. Louis County, and there's Old Town Fenton. And down around that area in Old Town Fenton, there's a fairly, there's a fairly sizable shopping center. So he's got like an actual like storefront that can be seen from. Yes, the road. absolutely. If you uh, if you're actually at the Gold Standard Gym that's by there, you can see it. Yeah, yeah, you, that's right. You you actually, if you were outside of where Sam's Studio is going to be, you can actually look directly at it, like straight ahead. So that that should give you a good idea yeah. of where it's at. And it should give everybody else who's listening that knows the area a good idea of where it's at. So definitely check it out. Check it out if he's not full up. Like, I think last time I saw him post something on Facebook, like, he's almost full up already. Because he's been killing it on social media. That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. So, yeah. And I saw some... It, it's it's amazing, like, watching the the studio space grow. Because when I went in to talk to Sam about 
perhaps doing this podcast initially. He had like just gotten the space. They had torn some stuff down and it looked, I mean, it was, it used to be a Sylvan learning center. So those even exist anymore. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. It's like Exilorama. (laughs) (laughs) The stores that, where stores go to die. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So yeah, like there was nothing on the walls. Like a lot of the stuff was torn down. The floors were torn up and things like that. All these gross green walls, like some remnants of kid, of kid type decorations on the walls. And you get to follow him like on social media. You've, you've seen the transformation of it. And then the reason he wasn't over here the other weekend was because he was he had to get the place ready to put the floors in. So while all of us were here hanging out by the fire pit, having a good time, Sam and Jimmy was on a date. Sam was painting his studio by himself, I think. Damn. So he's got a he's got a lot of grit and determination, and it looks like things are paying off for him, and I'm very happy about that. And his store should be, if it's not open by the time this releases, it should be opening soon because I think he's given it the grand opening of October thirtieth. Oh yeah, that's right. That's that's next week yeah. from when we're what Monday. Yeah, it's actually yeah, it's in like yeah. five days. He's he's worked his ass off to get that place open. Yeah. Well, here let's let's change the tide a little bit for you. What did you think of the podcast? How do you think you did? I thought Sam was a great first guest. Like I was really nervous to do an interview podcast, and I'm going to be very nervous to see what people actually think when I when they listen to it. Hopefully, people listen to it because um, I've never interviewed anybody before, and I don't spend a lot of like, despite the fact that I'm hey, I'm a podcaster, I don't really spend a lot of time talking on the mic. So right. I do a lot of even like during this conversation, there's still a lot of ums and uh because mm-hmm. I'm dumb. And sometimes my brain... Have you heard bacon and nays? I say like a lot, so... So do I. Ugh, I fucking hate it. I think a lot of... Like, sometimes my brain moves faster than my mouth can. Uh, 100% So I get, like, tripped up a lot. Like, I'll listen back to, like, Watches on the Couch podcast. It's like, what the fuck? How fat is my tongue? (laughs) Because it's just like I'm tripping over everything. So did, uh... I don't know, did uh, Sam, like, inspire you to get in shape? No. No, not at all? No. I will say this, though. As far as, you know, I I do hate working out, but part of my issue with that, and this is a challenge for Sam, is I smoke, and I smoke a pack a day. And that's what really, it's like, fuck that. I don't want to work out for 30 seconds and be completely winded. And now, I mean, I'm not in (laughs) complete horrible shape. How's that Sam's challenge? (laughs) But no, this is is my, my challenge for Sam, is if he can... If he I don't, can come I don't up say, with a low workout. No, if he, it's not even if that. he can come up with a way to keep me from smoking. Yeah, no, that's kind of what it is. Because I wouldn't mind actually starting the workout and get in shape and quit smoking. Um, I'm kind of already taking steps for that. It's not very successful. But yeah, to back to my point is I, I like I would I don't like that I smoke and I don't like the fact that you know I'm I'm not you guys know I'm not in like horrible looking shape in any way, but. Mm-hmm. I, I have no endurance when it comes. I, I walk up a flight of steps and I, my heart, because I got up this little nice little Fitbit free with my, the phone I got. Uh, I'll look at my watch and I'm already up to like a hundred. Like, not a sponsor. Yeah, not a sponsor. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So, hey, let me remember. I got a, uh, a little. A gold standard uh, step tracking watch. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but it's just, it, it's, it's. It sucks because I'll go up a flight of steps. I'll be out of breath and I'll look down and I'm at like 130 BPM for one flight of steps. Which is not healthy at all. Jeez. Yeah. And 
what's really even worse is back to my dad dying. He died of lung cancer from smoking, and he had something wrapped around his heart that the doctors didn't even bother dealing with because he was already on his deathbed. <laughs> so there that's running in my family. Now that's got me fucking freaked out, and, you know, it's like I would love to actually start progressively getting into better shape you had you had a heart issue like a while back yeah did you ever get your heart restarted or what ended up happening it it comes and goes it's uh premature ventricle uh contractions so it's that just really it's almost like a a heartbeat that's not completely normal Mm -hmm. so it's like a thump 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 Oh, that's kind of like what my cousin has and why he wasn't allowed into the Navy. Yeah, and apparently it's pretty normal when you get these weird little skip beats, per se. Mm -hmm. But I'll get them a thousand times a day. That's a lot. Yeah, where it'll literally be like that for three weeks straight. I was getting getting things like that for a while where, like, my heart would just, like, start racing for no reason. And it would. It would, like, it would skip and it'd be a noticeable skip. And I didn't know what was causing it. And I went to the doctor. They did an EKG on me. And there was nothing wrong. And then it went... Same here. It just stopped. It just stops. Like, yeah. I haven't I haven't had it in probably two years. And I think what it boils down to is with the, the this uh, premature ventral contractions, it's a missed signal from your brain to your heart. Hmm. So it's something to do electrically. I don't know if that's how many times that I've been shocked out in the field with 240 volts or just my natural genes or it's because I smoke, but... You know, going back to that, it's like, yeah, I would, I would love to get into it and and actually quit smoking. And but that's my biggest holdup is that I just I hate working out because of that. And it's not even, and it also uh, to a little bit of the the, the social environment. It kind of sucks to not, especially if you're not used to working out. Oh it yeah, sucks to work out by yourself. Yeah, and and because you're not accountable to anybody except yourself, and if you don't have that kind of discipline. Like that, that, that's like a discipline you have to like, you have to build that up like a muscle as well. Right. Cause like, yeah, if I, uh, I had been working out with some buddies back when I lived in Arnold and then it like, it took me have like in 2012 when I did like the workout for 12 weeks, I had to like, it took me like three weeks to just mentally prepare myself for that program that I went on. And then I was only accountable to myself. And I, I posted stuff on Facebook to annoy everybody. Yeah. Right. Cause I was one of those people. But the fact that I was putting those out there publicly, if I missed a day, then I knew, then it was, it, it held me accountable sure. to like, kind of like an invisible. Oh, well, some people enjoyed following along apparently in, it, it like some people were saying, man, you're inspiring me to get back in the gym. Um, I don't know if they ever did or not, but at the same time, like being accountable to somebody, right? Like since I didn't have anybody to work out, like putting that shit online actually helped. It was like kind of like an online diary slash journal. It's like, and I would, I would, it's like, man, I felt like shit waking up this morning. I didn't want to go to the gym, blah, 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 blah. Didn't get as good as a workout. Like basically like whatever, like in my head, like then you write it out and you fucking man up, you go to the gym or whatever. It's a that's a lot of fucking work. And, yeah, and, and and I guess another issue that I have too is that I'm not really overweight, and it's not I'm not you know I've got muscle on my body, but you know so like the the couple times that I have worked out, I've never gotten anything out of it. You know what I'm saying? I never saw my arms get bigger, my legs get bigger, and I, I would work out for months on end. And I don't know if it was just because I was doing it wrong or mm-hmm. you know whatever it was. I just I never saw any any really benefit from it, so I never did it. And the doctor says I have fast metabolism, so that helps. Hmm? Doctor says the complete opposite with me. (laughs) 
I gotta be on thyroid medication because apparently mine is, uh, well, really fucking bad. And guess who hasn't been on medication in like a year? This guy. But so is that a good thing that you've lost the weight though? Since oh, working? I mean, like. Yeah, yeah, no, it is, but it's still, I need to, I need to get back to the doctor because, uh, I was borderline diabetic. So there's a lot of people that are borderline diabetic in like the world today, like, because I don't know if it's like what we're eating or what, but it's not just that. It's like things that are like innocuous, like breads and like even like healthy stuff that you get in the, like packaged healthy stuff that you get in the store or something like that. Like, I don't want to go on like a, on my whole food rant, but, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Like I love watching. Oh, here's a thing of organic peanut butter cups next to a Reese's peanut butter cup, and it's the same fucking thing, but it's labeled as healthier. Mm-hmm. That's it's, a giant misconception. It's a fucking. It's the exact same thing. Like I mean, it's like yeah, it's I a mean, peanut butter cup, man. Like you know, you shouldn't be eating it, fucking tubby. Quit eating it. <laughs> Fuck, but I can't help it. It's got Reese's pieces inside of it, and it's organic. Well, I don't know. I was already. I was already on board with getting myself in shape. I think Sam's Sam's kicked me in the ass some more with like all of his social media stuff, like because he does the he does the live stream after the uh, after his boot camps on Thursday and things like that. Where you yeah, can I've, just seen, I've seen that. Do before. the do the Q and A's and things like that. It's uh and just like watching him grow the business. It's like inspiring. And I'm like five weeks no sugar, down about fourteen pounds. Hoping I can get to 195 by the time I turn uh, 37. Damn, you're going to be 37. I'm going to be 37 shit. in like however many weeks. Seven weeks. Damn. 37. I look older because of how fucking gray the beard's gotten in the year since I've been married. It has started look becoming how fucking, gray. If you, if you find the picture of when we bought this house in yeah. May of last year, there's hardly any gray in this beard. There's some. But nowhere near this much. Even the wedding pictures don't have anywhere near this much gray in my beard. I'm starting to get a lot of gray, and that's you don't have a fucking beard. What are you talking about? Well, this this little dirt right here. <laughs> <laughs> now I need to start just fermenting it. Getting that, or, or what's that? That new one they have there, where you can like it's just a touch of gray. Touch of gray. Yeah. yeah. Leave a You've little. You've already bit in there. got a touch of gray. No, though. I need. Just, I don't. I got fucking bitch smack with gray <laughs> it's just your chops dude it's just your chops the front of your face is fine I it's actually, just your chops i actually asked i actually asked sarah how she'd feel if i just went long goatee like if i just shaved the sides of the face she's like no no <laughs> like she tolerated the beard like i asked like i'd really like to grow a long beard. Like, yeah yeah you can do that totally but as soon as i mentioned what if i just had a long goatee she's like absolutely not <laughs> She'd rock like the Leonidas. She would, she would probably she would probably be really confused if you actually shaved it off too. If it was gone, because mm-hmm. I would be I, if, yeah. I, if I saw you without it at this point, it would be really man. That'd be weird. Because it's been you've been rocking that almost three years. I mean, I've had I have had a beard nonstop since like 2013. Yeah. I haven't started growing it out since probably 2015. I, I always had like a thinner mm-hmm. kind of, yeah. a more shapely beard as opposed to the hobo beard that I have now. Well, at least you can grow a beard. Yeah. I grow this like half pube looking I couldn't grow a beard thing. until I was like 29 or 30. Yeah, I'm 33 and still can. Well, you got that Native American blood in you. Right. Maybe. Who knows? Well, 
Once okay, support the Beard versus Evil podcast on Patreon. We can uh, get a twenty three and me for Nick and find out if he's actually got some Native American. I, yeah, I really would be super interested in in knowing what I'm made out of. And, I still and, have to. I still have to do that for Mike. Mike gave me money for work boots, and mm-hmm. I told him I was like, <clears throat> I'm I'm making enough money now to where I can start paying you back. He goes, If you want to pay me back, do that so that get a twenty three and me. Yep. I was like, Really? He's like, The more information that's out there, the more it helps and. It gives you know that much more of a piece of the pie. Just that little sliver helps, and it kind of does. And I want to. I, I'm. I'd, I'd like to do it. All right, we're gonna do it. All three of us are gonna do a twenty-three and me, and uh, then do a reveal on this. We'll do a reveal right. on this. Okay. Yeah. When, when when should we? We gotta like. Have it a, probably won't be until like the beginning of next year. That's I'm, that's because I'm probably not gonna do it because I'm gonna let this this uh, this pilot sit for probably the rest of the year, and then probably towards the end of the year is when I'll start working on the next one. Perfect. That's that. We'll do that. That's awesome. And then do a reveal on this. Yeah, that that's awesome. Yeah, kind of like a new year thing. A new year, new me. No, the old <laughs> you. You just find out. <laughs> I'm not Mexican at all. No, well, and, and I that, definitely know I'm that. That's for what sure. What if you? What if it turns out you're only like 10 percent Mexican? It's it. That's that's actually impossible. My grandfather was adopted from Mexico. I'm at least 25. What if your grandfather? My mom was like, well, no, that doesn't make sense. My mom was adopted from Austria, but we—I only assume that she's full-blooded Austrian. What if your grandfather just culturally appropriated the Mexicans? Well, there's always that possibility. What if you're more Irish than you are Mexican? I'm Scott Irish. I know that for a fact. Our genealogy. Well, that could be wrong too. We're gonna find out. And yeah, and I'm and I'm in that boat where I have no idea. Like you know, I can tell you this: we're all sub-Saharan African. Yes. All of us. Even the white supremacists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a revelation. That was fun. Um, I know I'm I know I'm Austrian. I'm predominantly Austrian and German. Um, I think there's a little bit of some kind of northern British or Irish because of the last name. Mm-hmm. And then assuming What does that what does that like what trade does that equate to? Pickerel? Yeah. It's uh Pickerel's a type of fish. So okay. I would assume fi- some kind of fisherman. Yeah. Okay. Which is which is awesome because I hate fishing. I don't hate fishing. I'm just no good at it, and I think it's boring. But I've haven't actually every time I've brother, gone, every time we are I, same. We should go fishing sometime because every time I've gone fishing, let me take you guys fishing. All nope. right. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm not going to do that. But go on. Well, I is mean, it going to be boat fishing, or are we going to have to put on like hip waders? And no, God, no. I, I catfish. So you throw a line out, you sit down, you put a bell on it, and you do whatever else you want to do. Have you seen and have, wait for something? Oh, right. okay. So we'll fish and podcast. Yeah. Have you seen Have you seen those spring assisted setters? I have one. I had one. You did. Yeah. It, did works. it worked. Yeah, it works. Okay. But you also, anytime a current will pull it, it'll and you're like, gotta fit. Nope, no. Well, we've got plans for the next episodes. Then, mm-hmm. so Nick and Jimmy, thank you for being on the first episode of Beard versus Evil, and thank you for reminding me that I can't shave my beard at this point because now I'm branded with the you fucking are. thing. You are. You are. Sorry. So. Well, I can shave it down, but I can't shave it off. No. 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 Or at least if I do shave it off, I can't do another podcast until it grows back. I think, it grows back. Uh, well, especially if you're going to have the name Beard versus Evil. That's true. What I'll have it, to have a fake beard. Yeah. You could, yeah, it would be blank versus evil. Yeah. <laughs> question mark versus <laughs> evil. <laughs> but, yeah. So, I'm, I'm kind of actually excited about the new year for once in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's, be, that's uh, really... Uh, it's gonna be a good year, Jimmy. We're gonna we're gonna make some podcasts, and uh, you're gonna find out who you are. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna start bow fishing. I don't know what's bow gonna fishing. Bow fishing. That's know. awesome. We can, can we go spear fishing? <laughs> we 
All right. Well, I think we'll leave it at that. Beard vs. Evil is an Onyx Edge Studios production. It's written and produced by me, Tim Pickerel. The theme song is by Technoax. I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under the username Beard vs. Evil. 